Was there a football game on or something last night? I'm just curious. Josh told me I needed to go ahead and just cancel this service, but he was wrong. You guys, how many of you have just been up all night after the game? Okay. It was a good game, wasn't it? Was it a good game? Did you guys enjoy the game? Okay. It's okay. You can, you can be happy about a, a victory, and, and, and then uh, you get to watch the Browns today. So uh, enjoy, <laughs> enjoy your, your morning. You like, I like things that last, don't you? You know, you, you like football legacies that last. <laughs> uh, good to see you, Jevin. You having fun at Mount Vernon? Yeah, like, like things that last. We like football legacies that last. We like uh, cars and things like that that last. I, I, I bought my Explorer in 2013, so I've had it for three years. Got it, of course, used since it's a 2001. <laughs> I didn't buy it new off the lot in, in 2013. It had, it had 100,000 miles on it. I've put nearly 85,000 miles on that silly thing, and I've not changed the tires yet. Can somebody, it's like a miracle. I don't know, you know, brakes, nothing. That the thing is just running, running, running. And eventually it'll stop, I, I, I believe, Steve. But we like things that last, don't we? Things that, that you, they just go on and on and on. You know, you like to buy gum that the flavor lasts, you know, not like juicy fruit and it's like two chews and it's, it's done. We like things that last. We, we like diets where the weight stays off and everybody said, amen, right? We, we like things that last. We, we like repairs and when we take our car in, uh, when, we, when we have things done on the house, when, when we have yard work done, when we have things done, we like these things to stay fixed and stay done. Everybody likes things that last, and, and I think we want to have a lasting impact in life. We, we want to leave a legacy. M- most people, I believe, I, all people, I believe, want to think that at the end of their life, they have left something that lasts, something that matters, something that is significant, a, a long-term impact. You know, when, when we work at a job, you know, I think most of us would like to think that when we go back to that job place, to that workplace, uh, years later, some of the things that we did and tried were still being used. That, that, that as, as soon as you left, they didn't just change everything because you were gone. We, we like to think that we're going to have a long-term impact in our places of employment. We, we want to think at school. That, that will have some sort of impact, that will make some sort of difference. I, I, I hope that, that all of us hope to have an impact in our neighborhood. Do you, do you realize you are Jesus in your neighborhood? Amen. You're Jesus in your neighborhood. And, and you have people living around you that in the mind of God, he's saying, man, I sure hope makes an impact on them because they're the Jesus that I place there for people to see. So, so we want to have a long-term impact in our neighborhoods and we want to have a long-term impact in our families. Uh, when, when we're dead and gone, and, and if, if Jesus doesn't return, all of us at some point will be dead and gone. You realize that, right? When we're dead and gone, we want to have an impact on our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. We, we don't want to just pass through time and be done with life and, and make no difference for 
anybody. And I believe everyone sitting in this room feels the same way. They want to have an impact. And even though oftentimes we feel real ordinary, even ordinary people can have extraordinary impact on the generations that follow. I believe that. Anybody ever hear of Howard Hughes? Raise your hand if you've heard of Howard Hughes. I'll bet you there are about half the people in this congregation don't know who Howard Hughes is or was. Howard Hughes was an eccentric billionaire, and uh, he died in the 70s, and, and he was kind of a mythical uh, figure in my, my lifetime. He, he hadn't been seen in public for, for years and years. But, but Howard Hughes owned TWA. He, he made movies. He was a pilot. But, but Howard Hughes, does anybody know where his income really came from? His dad invented a drill bit, Hughes Tool. And so all these things that Howard Hughes did in his life, all these places he spent money, and he made some money too, and he lost some money. But, but behind all of that was the legacy of a tool bit that his dad developed and patented. And so for years and years, when everything was going bad, when he was losing money with TWA, when he was losing money on movies, he could always get money from Hughes Tool. His dad left a legacy. And I, I want in my life, I want to leave a legacy for my boys that, that somehow they can draw on that legacy throughout their life. And I, and I think that's common to most of us. Proverbs 13, 22 says, the good leave an inheritance to their children's children. <laughs> Stop and think about that. That The good leaves something behind all the way to their grandchildren, and I believe beyond. Now, we, we may feel very ordinary, but we may feel like we don't matter much. We may feel like no one notices us, and maybe that's what we want. But even in our ordinary life, as we follow Jesus, as we do what we are called to do, I believe we can have an extraordinary impact. Stop and think about those who've impacted you most. As if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Jesus follower today, there's somebody in your past that has impacted you profoundly in your pursuit of Jesus. Most of us, it's not going to be someone that's necessarily famous. As a matter of fact, most of us, I believe it's going to be somebody that's fairly ordinary. I think of those people who have had the most impact on my spiritual being, on my life following Jesus. And most of those people have been fairly ordinary people. Not a lot of books written about them. But they have had a profound impact on my life and the trajectory of my life. And, and, and if I, I venture to guess, that if, if I would begin to poll, if we were begin to talk about those people that have had the impact on you, it's been Sunday school teachers, it's been pastors, it's been grandparents, it's been mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, friends, just ordinary people who have had an extraordinary impact on your life because they have followed God's call in their life. See, ordinary people following Jesus can leave a lasting legacy. If you believe that this morning, say amen. amen. So we've been tracking the story of Gideon. 
And Gideon is found in the book of Judges. It's uh, around chapter 6, the story begins. And, and, and we, we talked a little bit about the book of Judges. The book of Judges is, is just story after story of the people of Israel turning away from God and, and God sending a judge. And, and this judge would, would, in response to repentance, lead the people back into a relationship with God, and God would restore, and then they would, they would backslide, or they would fall, or they would fell, and, and once again, God would send oppression uh, to, to bring them back to him. And it's another one of those stories in the book of Judges. And, and, and Gideon, the, the people of Israel, are being oppressed by Midian and others, and, and, and so they're, they're actually destroying their crops and their livestock. And, and you find Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. In other words, in a place where you don't thresh wheat. You know, it's, it's, it's hidden. Uh, you know, it's not that he's doing something completely stupid. He's trying to protect the crops. Uh, but, but it's not a very effective place to be threshing wheat. And, and so he's threshing wheat in the wine press. And the, the angel comes to him and sa- says, hell, mighty warrior. In other words, you are so strong in the Lord. And, you know, he does, from all appearances, it's a, it's a crazy statement considering where Gideon is. But, but, but he says, hell, mighty warrior. And, and Gideon, you know, begins to question the angel. Why are you saying these things to me? I'm the least of the least. My family's the least and I'm the least. I am not a mighty warrior. Anybody ever felt like that? <laughs> you know, I'm not mighty by any stretch of the imagination. And, and, the, and the angel begins to, to unveil this plan that God has in Gideon's life. And, and Gideon begins to, to question or, or, or ask God or ask the angel to, to give him certain signs. He says, okay, wait here. I'll go get a sacrifice. And if you're still here, I'll know it's true. And the angel waits. And he says, okay, uh, you know, here, put the sacrifice on a rock. And the angel strikes it with his staff and it bursts into flame. And, and then the angel disappears. And of course, who's had that happen this week? Just raise your hand. I'm just curious. Of course, Gideon's like, ah, oh, you know, I've seen the Lord. He's afraid he's going to die. And the Lord speaks to him, says, you're not going to die. I'm going to use you, in fact, so build an altar to me. And then, and then in the midst of building the altar, the Lord says, I want you to tear down the Asherah poles, and I want you to tear down the altars to Baal that's in your father's household. And, and, I, and I want you to destroy these things. And, and so at night, because um, Gideon's just a brave soul, <laughs> at night when everybody's asleep, Gideon does this. And then the next day, they're, they're, they're wanting to kill Gideon, but his dad defends him, and, and Gideon then begins to make this appeal for others to join him. And eventually we have 32,000 men who have gathered with Gideon. Now, I believe last week we ended with Gideon then lays out fleeces. He, he, he lays this sheepskin on the ground and he says, God, if this is your will for me, make the ground dry and the sheepskin wet. And God does that. And then the next, he goes, don't, you know, bear with me, God. You know, I want to be sure about this because, you know, after all, you found me threshing wheat in a wine press uh, but, but if this is really what you want to do, I want to make sure this isn't just something that naturally happens. But, but I'm going to lay the, the, the sheepskin on the ground and make it dry and the ground wet. And the Lord does that. So Gideon knows that this is God's call for him. And here he is with 32,000 men ready to go to battle with Midian. Now Midian has heard, somehow has heard about what's going on. 
And so they're beginning to amass their armies in preparation for this battle with the Israelites. And so Gideon has 32,000 men, and, and, and the Lord says, okay, Gideon, that's too many. You know, sometimes God asks us to do things in ways that are contrary to the ways we want to do things. You, you realize that, right? That God's ways aren't our ways. And sometimes God asks us to do things. I believe this is still true. God asks us to do things that may not fit every, check every logical box on a questionnaire. And I believe God still calls men and women to do things that don't always fit into our paradigms and our way of doing things. And I would say this, if God has not challenged you to do something, and I want to say this in a godly way, that seems completely stupid to you, God sometimes challenges us to do things that are different than what we think. And this is different. If I'm going to fight a battle, more is better, right? And God says, no, too many. And if you fight this battle with this army, you guys will begin to think it's all about us. It'll go to your head and you won't trust me and this won't be about me, but this will be about Gideon and what Gideon's army did. So what I want you to do is I want you to, to call them up and say, okay, if you're afraid, I want you to go home. <laughs> and so he brings them up. You're afraid? I want you to go home. Guess what? 22,000 of them were afraid. <laughs> and there's 10,000 left. And so God says, okay, you know, Gideon, that's too many. Um, how many of you were Gideon? Uh, would wish that you were one of the 22,000 that went home, right? He says, that's too many. He says, well, Lord, what do you want to do? He goes, go get drinks of water. Now, th this seems so arbitrary to me. And, and I've heard preachers, you know, oh, well, these are the more prepared. I, I think God's just arbitrarily choosing here. I, I don't know, because this isn't about them. This is about God, right? And God's not saying, okay, these guys, and, and when we get to how the battle's won, I think you'll understand that it's not about their prowess, it's about their obedience. <laughs> if they're lapping like a dog or if they're cupping in their hands, uh, you know, I want you to separate them. And, and so he's keeping the ones that are cupping with their hands, and, you know, I guess they're more attentive, and there's only 300 of them, from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. And God goes, there's my army. That's what I need. And so all these guys go home, and, and they leave their, their, their provisions and their weapons, I would assume. It says their provisions, so I'm assuming they left their weapons and all their things. And so Gideon's going, well, i got 300 guys, but we're well-armed and well-supplied. Well and, you know, you know, somehow God will use these supplies. And God goes, okay, now let me tell you my plan. <laughs> um, I want you to get some pictures uh, some, you know, clay vessels and some, and some torches. <laughs> That's going to be your items to battle with. Um, 
God's plans are different than ours. Amen? You know, I, I kind of have a feeling that, that this is why. God, God says, okay, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your servant, and I want you to go, and I want you to just sneak in and be by the Midianites and be by their camp. And, and so Gideon sneaks in with his servant, and I love the things. The, the stories of the Bible, some of them, you know, they, 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 they're really funny to a certain degree. And, and, and so the Midianites are having a dream, or somebody comes out of his tent, and he's having a dream. And you know what his dream is? that a barley loaf <laughs> is rolling out through the camp and destroying him. He was dreaming that a loaf of bread was destroying Midian, okay? Now, I'm sure there's all deep meanings, but to me, it's just kind of, kind of chuckle of the dream. That's, kind of the, that's the kind of dreams I have when I eat something, you know, like pizza late. <laughs> and Gideon knew by this dream that God was going to fulfill his promise to the Israelites and the Gideon. So he did just what God said. They, they surrounded the camp and they got their pitchers and they put their flames in it and then they busted the pitchers and, and started making loud noise and they were yelling, uh, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And there's mass confusion in the camp. And Midian, in essence, kills themselves and begins to fight among themselves. And then there's a rout pursuit as they, they begin to run. And then the Gideon's armies and others actually begin to pursue these Midian armies. This great victory with torches and pitchers and just screaming real loud. Who would like to fight a battle like that? That'd be great, right? That put me in that war. And so after this all done, they, they, they come to Gideon and they say, okay, Gideon, we want you to rule over us. Man, you are such a leader. Will you rule over us? And Gideon says, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. <laughs> and then there's this, this 40 years of peace. The people of Israel experienced this significant time of peace because of this battle won with flames and pitchers and 300 men. See, Gideon left a legacy bigger than his abilities and his actions. He left a legacy based on his obedience. Now, I don't know about you. The, the older I get the more skilled I become in my memory, right? <laughs> Anybody like that? Uh, you know, I think in 10 years, Jevin, my memory will increase to the extent that I will almost have played in the NBA. I, I don't know. You know, I get better at basketball every year. And, you know, the older we get, our memory tends to expand. And, and we get a lot better at stuff the older we got, get, right? Uh, I don't know why that is. But I can imagine 40 years after this, Gideon being asked by his grandkids, Grandpa, tell us how you defeated Midian. <laughs> I kind of have a feeling that Gideon said, well, God gave me a large army, and then he sent them home. <laughs> and, and, he, and, they, and they left me with all sorts of equipment and weapons and ways to defeat Midian, but God gave me torches, horns, and pots and told me just to make a lot of noise, and he would do the rest. Yes, yes. You know, as I read this, 
and, and I know we, we've heard, some of you have heard this story so many times that, that, that we, we, we read, we've been in the Bible so much that some of us don't even hear the stories anymore. If, if we were honest, we, we've heard these stories over and over and over again. And it's just a story that we've heard since we were yay big. But when you hear the story, what you see is ordinary, 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 God using it in extraordinary ways. Mind-blowing ways. Ways that are beyond our expectations. But this ordinary guy was completely obedient to God. Whatever you ask me to do, God, I will do. And when things are done, it will not be about me, but it will be about you. An ordinary guy that says, send me and I will go. And when I come back, I will point directly to you. And because of this, Gideon left a generational piece. Um, forty years is an interesting figure in the Bible. When you see forty years, what comes to mind? Well, you think about wandering in the wilderness for forty years, right? Forty is one of those numbers that has a significance beyond the years. Forty is a generational number. You know, so, so God has them wander for 40 years in the wilderness because that generation has to pass. This is a significant number. And whether it's exactly 40 years or whether it's not 40 years, what the Bible is telling us here is that Gideon had an effect that went beyond a generation. This ordinary guy had a significant impact on the life of Israel. And it was pretty simple. See, I, I believe that, that if you were going to talk about Gideon, you would say this, Gideon recognized the sovereignty of God. Gideon, in his mind, in his heart, in his actions, recognized that God was God. Can you say that with me? God is God. God is God. That is the extent of Gideon's life. He is a person that said, God is God, and how God commands me to move, I will move, and I will always forever give God credit and praise for what he's done in my life. See, we kind of have, I don't know, maybe you don't, but it's easy sometimes to say, God, do your will, then God does his will. But we forget that second part to say, it's all about God. This praise of God, this acknowledgement of God, this continually acknowledging God for what he's doing and what he has done. See, we can leave a generational peace if we recognize the sovereignty of God. And if you think back at those ordinary people that have impacted you most, most of them, I believe, if they're like the people that have impacted me, they're people who have embraced, acknowledged, and lived with an understanding that God was and is sovereign. So what's that mean? What's it mean to recognize 
the sovereignty of God. And this morning, as we kind of close this two weeks of Gideon, I think we recognize God's sovereignty through worship. Um, now, now, worship's a word that, has a, that, that causes some confusion, I believe, in the church, because we think of worship as what? A song. Worship is far more than singing or a song. Worship embraces a lifestyle. Now, now to, the word worship, when you find it in the Bible, typically it means to, to bow down. And, and that's why it's connected with the sovereignty of God because it's in essence what... Now, I don't know if I can get back up, okay? But pray for me. You know, it, it's this. And you don't do that to just anyone, but, but it's a bowing down in front of one, someone saying, you are sovereign, you are God, you are Lord, you are in control, I am dependent on you, I am your servant. That's worship. You know, and the beauty of it is this, that, that as I think about that posture, we have a heavenly father that as we're in that posture and our attitude and our life reaches down and picks us up and makes us a partner with him. <laughs> Man. But worship is more than a song. Worship is obedience. You know, if God is God, that means that what God asks me to do, I do. You know, Gideon was worshiping God in his obedience. In saying yes to God, he is worshiping God. We may be really good at singing, but if we're not saying yes to God, our singing doesn't matter a whole lot. Worship is more than a song. It's more than what we do in here on a Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, I believe what we do in here on Sunday morning is determined by how we worship him outside these walls Monday through Saturday. Worship is obedience. I believe worship is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an acknowledgement of every gift God has given you. I, it, when, when I've become more and more aware, as I, as I work through the Bible, this discipline of thanksgiving is significant, important. It's something we do not do enough. We don't acknowledge God's blessings in our life. And, and what happens is we begin to think, oh, well, this job I have, this house I have, this family I have, these freedom I have, freedoms I have, this, the water I have, the air I breathe, you know, that's just all luck or something that I've done. But it all has come from your Father's hand. Our Father's blessings are so overwhelming that he even blesses people that are disobedient, who, who fail to believe in him, who fail to serve him. God blesses across this universe. And thanksgiving is the discipline of acknowledging that we have a sovereign God who has extended blessing into our life. I, I would challenge you today. I would challenge you this week.
to, to get a sheet of paper out and begin writing down the blessings in your life. And, and maybe even going so far as after you write it down, saying, thank you, God. We are blessed people. And praise. What, what, you know, and, and thanksgiving and praise, they, they, these, are, these are kind of akin terms. Uh, thanksgiving and praise often flow together, but, but thanksgiving is a little bit different than praise. Thanksgiving is an acknowledgement of God's blessings in your life, and praise is just an acknowledgement of who He is. You know, praise is the opportunity to say, you are holy, you are righteous, you are good. And so I, I think people who worship God have an acknowledgement and they, they acknowledge who God is. And then the last is serving. We, we can worship through serving. That, that as we, and, and, and this is, Jesus says, if you love God, you'll love others. And if you love others, you're kind of loving God. That, that, that somehow as we serve and as we love others, we, we can extend our love towards our Heavenly Father. We, we don't see God, but we see others. And others we can physically touch and we can physically serve. And, and we can go out and we can love them. And in loving them, our Heavenly Father accepts that as love towards Him. All these things are worship. And a life of worship allows me to live a, leave a legacy bigger than myself. In other words, at the end of my life, when everything's said and done, I believe if our life is full of these kind of things, we will leave a legacy that's bigger than ourselves because it's going to be a legacy that's connected to God. Gideon left a legacy. And, and read the story again. An ordinary guy doing ordinary things. He left a legacy bigger than himself because he lived this life of worship extended to his heavenly father. See, what we do matters. We will leave some type of impact in our life. At the end of our life, there'll be some sort of impact, negative or positive. And for me, I want to leave an impact that directs people towards Jesus and directs them towards life and not away, particularly those I love. You know, you know what the sad part of this is? After Gideon, after what Gideon had done, after this generational peace, guess what? There's another period of confusion. That after Gideon is gone, they once again begin, and I would say the opposite of God worship is self-worship. And that's exactly what happens. All, all these other gods, they're, they're not worshiping other gods. They're worshiping their self. And, and they're going back from, from being obedient to him to, to just doing their own thing. And you have this period of self-worship and it's all about what I want and what I need and what I think. And self-worship destroys legacies. It destroys legacies in families. Anybody ever seen a family that's been destroyed by self-worship? I have. It destroys the legacy of nations. 
Our nation is in jeopardy because we are a nation where self-worship is primary. And, and, and you know, don't, don't just blame politicians for this, folks. This isn't about Hillary and Donald. It's not. This is about a people who worship themselves. Churches destroy themselves when I, me, becomes number one. When we no longer worship God, but all we care about is our own wants and our own desires, you might as well shut the door. And can I tell you something from the authority of God's word? This just hit me a couple weeks ago. I was reading through the letters to the churches in Revelation. You know, God's, I don't want to say this in a bad way. Well, I'm just going to say it like the Bible says it. God's less concerned about this church than he is about his mission. You understand that, right? That God is okay with a church shutting their doors if they're not fulfilling his mission in this world. He tells them, listen, you guys are lukewarm. I'm going to come and I'm going to take the lampstand right from you because my mission is all that matters. And see, churches can become so self-focused that they forget the rest of the world. And they can destroy a legacy. All that's been invested. So let me ask you, are you living up to your legacy? You know, not only are you leaving a legacy, but are you living up to the legacy? Are you living up to what's been invested in you? Those ordinary people that, that, that God was sovereign, that lived this life of worship, that, that all that mattered was following him, that gave him the glory. Are you living up to the legacy that they've invested in you? That's kind of a slippery slope, isn't it? That it's real easy to kind of slide off the track. When I practiced law, they, they talked about uh, the camel getting its head into the tent, and pretty soon it had its whole body in the tent. You know, the, the image is a camel getting ahead and then just working its whole body into the tent. <laughs> now, I, I think in the church, we, we live in that kind of reality that, 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 that we can slide down a, a slippery slope or we can let the camel get its head in the tent. And the next thing we know, we're, we're looking at our life and, and, the, and the investment in us, where we started from, seems like a long way off. See, God's calling us to live this life where he alone is God, where we acknowledge that every good gift, every good thing in our life has come from him. And in serving him, we leave this legacy that's bigger than ourselves. My life first has, has been since since I was entirely sanctified and uh, since, since I felt God's call into the ministry is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. And to, to me, I, I understand what God's done in my heart and my life through the, the, through the prism of Romans 12, 1 and 2, this ideal of laying my life on an altar and just giving it all to God, giving God the living sacrifice and the ability of our God to, to transform us in a conforming world. <laughs> 
to transfigure us. The same word used for the transfiguration of Christ is used in Romans 12, 1 and 2. But I'm going to read it to you from the message. Stand with me, if you will. We're not going to have any music. Um, but I'm going to invite you after I get done with this. Maybe you just want to talk to him. Maybe you want to acknowledge something that he's, he's done in your life. Maybe you just want to make sure everything's okay. Uh, I'm going to give us some space to pray uh, after I read this scripture. But let me read Romans 12, 1 and 2 out of the message. Um, paraphrase today. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to, to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. We're going to wait just for a moment. Maybe you, wanna, maybe you just want to thank God for something. Maybe you need to pray about something. I'm going to invite you to come, and then we're going to close in prayer here in just a second. We just give you thanks and praise for your presence here among us. We're thankful, Lord, that you can use ordinary vessels. It's not about our talent. and In fact, your word says that where we are weak, you are made strong. That somehow it's in our weakness, Lord, that oftentimes we can give you the best glory. So, Lord, we acknowledge that we need you. That for us to have a lasting impact in the life of our families, in our church, in our community, it will not be based on our own strength. And Lord, for this church to have a lasting impact, it will not be based on strength, but it will be on our weaknesses and our submission and dependence upon you. We need you, Lord. And Lord, we, we ask you to give us guidance to continue to lead us, and Lord, if you tell us to blow horns and crash pots and, and just yell, we'll do it. Because it's about your business and your, your, your mission. Make us kingdom-minded. Make us kingdom-sensitive. Lord, help us to have baby eyes so that we can see you at work once again. Lord, I pray for those that, that, that maybe the legacy they're leaving is not what they want to leave. We're thankful, Lord, that your mercies are new every day. That right now we have this, this moment called today. And in today, we can begin to change where we're at and where we're going. So, Lord, give us a fresh commitment, a fresh vision of what you want for our life. And, and Lord, as you lead, help us to follow. Lord, I'm thankful for each person here this morning, all of them that have come out on this early Sunday morning to worship you and to hear from your word. I pray, Lord, that you'll use this time and that your Holy Spirit will do the work that I cannot do. 
Lord, help us to depend on you, to be obedient to you, to give you thanks and praise for who you are and what you do. And Lord, we're going to give you praise as we leave this place. Uh, May we be your extension in our community. Wherever we go today, Lord, may we show you and may we bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.